Hello and welcome back to Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka beauty island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the beauty product that defined their teens, the one they grew up watching their mum or grandma apply, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. If you have listened since the beginning, or even just to a few episodes of Beauty Island, you'll have noticed that certain products get mentioned multiple times by different people. And there's one product above all that has been selected the most as people's desert island essential, Lanolips. A lanolin-based multi-purpose ointment from a South Australian brand that can be used for just about anything you can think of. So it is my absolute pleasure to have founder of Lano, Kirsten Carriol, as this week's Beauty Island guest. I was hoping to sit down in Sydney with Kirsten in person, but being in Melbourne makes it a little difficult sometimes, and I really wanted to bring you this chat as soon as possible, so I was very lucky to get her early one morning over the phone, and I have to say this is possibly one of my favourite interviews I've done this year. I've listened to it back a few times now during the editing process, and each time I hear a new nugget of gold, so I really hope you feel the same when you listen too. Before she became the founder and CEO of an internationally beloved beauty brand stocked by pretty much the biggest beauty retailers around the world, including Mecca, Priceline, Sephora and Net-A-Porter, Kirsten worked in beauty PR, launching the likes of Laura Mercier and Saint-Tropez into Australia. That foundation, plus grandparents who were farmers and parents who were scientists, in hindsight seems like the perfect formula for what she would go on to do, turning the uncool ingredient of Lano into a highly successful beauty business. We talked about the risk of keeping a product so simple yet effective, the foundation and concealer combo she swears by to hide dark circles, the moment she discovered the grown-up version of her beloved musky teenage The Body Shop scent, and what she thinks of the likes of Drew Barrymore, Kim Kardashian, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley and comedian Chelsea Handler loving her products. It was so incredible to have such a fun and playful chat about beauty with Kirsten, but she was also very candid about the relentless pace of running a successful business and the truth about that ever-elusive work-life balance. We also spoke about the underrated value of kindness in life and in business, which was something that was shining from Kirsten even over the phone. She was so generous with her time and wisdom, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. As always, if you love listening to Beauty Island, please subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are on Instagram, take a screenshot of where you're listening or listening to the podcast and post it on your story so I can see where you're listening from. Just tag me at Beauty Island Podcast. Now over to Kirsten. Enjoy. Kirsten, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm so uh, excited and and lucky to have you on the phone from Sydney. Now, to kick us off, kind of a big question, but when we talk about beauty and our relationship with beauty, I wondered, I was really curious about what yours was, because I suppose it's slightly different when beauty is a passion and a job as well. It's a good question, actually, and for me, it's kind of not a simple answer. So right now, my relationship with beauty is I feel like in my life in particular, my personal beauty routine should be a very firm fifth priority behind friends, family, health, social life, and work life balance. So for me, beauty is important, but... I feel like we should all be really clear about where it fits in your priorities. And as a brand owner, I I encourage this of my customers as well. So, And that kind of goes back to what our products do and, um, and how they are meant to do what they say, be uncomplicated and make people's lives kind of easier so they can kind of forget about the beauty side if they want to 
and get on with things that matter, like, you know, your loved ones. I think that's a really important reminder of perspective because obviously beauty can be as much as you want it to be as long as it's giving you you pleasure or an enjoyment but it shouldn't be something that you feel like you have to do so I think that's a really refreshing uh, reminder so thank you. The first product on your list is the one you kind of grew up watching I think it was your your mum apply which was a Helena Rubinstein cream can you tell me a bit more about that memory? Yeah so I think every every child has really vivid memories of their mother's routines and the smell and um, it, it, you know, it felt, felt like such a grown-up thing when you're little in terms of what they were using. And um, my parents were, as were a lot of parents in the 70s and 80s, like things weren't as complicated and beauty as they are now. They were very simple and even more so with my parents. They were academics. They, um, you know, they, they didn't have much money. We, it was they were really happy, but they, mum didn't have this bulging beauty cabinet. She literally had this one cream with Helena Rubenstein cream, and I think it was called Youth Dew, or I looked it up actually, uh, um, and it was a really. I remember everything about this cream. It was really fluid. It was kind of pink color. It was in this top bottle it mum poured it out into like this little puddle in her hand and and it's I remember the smell of it and the feel of it and it was only years later that I I realized that this cream was one of the original lanolin based creams and Helena Rubenstein actually was one of the first people to use lanolin in a commercially available cream back in the I think it was in the 1940s or even the 1930s when she started her, her range in Australia so for me the smell and the feel of that and watching my mum put that on, was it's really a fond memory. And, and, and it was really the only beauty indulgence she had. She's a very stripped back, no-nonsense. She ended up being a scientist for 40 years, but that was her only indulgence, should I say, in beauty was this one cream. And I love that link back that your first memory ended up being so heavily based in lanolin, which has come to define so much of, of obviously, yeah, lano as I well. Yeah, the only other products we had in our house for skincare was pure lanolin. It was a, actually a brand in Adelaide um, called Foldings, which is, I'm pretty sure, still around today. And they had this cream in the yellow tube. It was just a lanolin cream. And I thought it was pure lanolin. I've since realised it was paraffin and lanolin mixed together, but it was basically just gooey white mix and <laughs> anyone growing up at the time would probably remember it so apart from mum's cream and that tube of folding that's all we had I actually when I was in um, Paris Alley this year and went to a fantastic exhibition on Eleanor Rubenstein who I feel is kind of like the original beauty entrepreneur um, I find yeah. her, her really fascinating oh wow you did that's amazing yeah it was incredible were you always a beauty obsessive a beauty junkie from a young age or is that something that came later it definitely came later. So my, um, as I said, my earliest memories were just lanolin, and on on my grandparents' farm, the smell of lanolin. That's all I knew. I fell in love with beauty when I read an article. It was like in my mid mid teens, and I read one of the. I think it was the first big article in Cosmo on Poppy Poppy King and her lipsticks, this matte lipstick, and it was just from the nineties. Look was coming. Just it was actually late eighties, I think. Uh, like 1989 actually I was in like high school and I was entranced by this kind of matte lipstick this kind of really deep matte lip that I had seen editorially in magazines but I've never seen it like available in a lipstick and I remember being on the phone and trying to find where to buy it and you couldn't buy things online so it was in this shop in Melbourne like it was in these cool stores in Melbourne and my friend and I were going to Melbourne like a few weeks later for like a girl's trip so we went over and I walked up and down Chapel Street and I found this shop and I bought this poppy lipstick and I bought like two or three shades and I was obsessed and I wore just that for, for quite a few years and that was my earliest sort of, that kind of ignited my interest in um, in what beauty could be and, and what it, it was fun. Like I think I have full respect for beauty's role in girls' lives, world and women. It's kind of an escape, it's kind of fun, it's almost like our sport, you know, like this sport is such a huge part of Australian culture with cricket and football and so on, but, um, but girls, you know, we kind of have our own thing and that's beauty and I think we're almost made to be, feel like it shouldn't it shouldn't be taken seriously or it's kind of flippant, but it's kind of like our sport. We all don't, none of us really take it that seriously, I don't think. 
I think some people who have, you know, who are uncomfortable with the way they look and, and they can use beauty to get confidence and that's also amazing. But I think ultimately beauty for women is what I see it as kind of our sport and that's fun, right? Absolutely. And I suppose, and it, it, I've had this conversation a lot with um with friends and other people I've interviewed as well about kind of the different reactions. So if a man is really passionate about, like you said, a sports team, it's not derided in the same way as a woman who's really passionate about something related to fashion or beauty. So I think that Absolutely. kind of attitude is, is, is spot on. Now you touched yeah. on the, um, the second and third products on your list there. You talked about the products that define your teens, which you put liquid liner, thin brows and poppy lipstick. And obviously poppy lipstick being one of the first products you bought. What was it? And I love that you described them as kind of the OG Kylie lip kits. What was it that, yeah. um, just tell me a bit more about kind of the look and feel of those products. Well, I remember there was a big, it was kind of the very early, early, early days, even before grunge came, it was late 80s, early 90s, and this whole dark lip, matte face, white, Drew Barrymore, I think is a good way to describe it, that early Drew Barrymore vibe, where you had these big, thick, kind of heavy lips, and often it was a multi, um, like you had the same colour on your lips as your eyes and your cheeks, it was just really um, strong helmet mutiny, I guess, vibe. And um, I'm not really good with fashion references, but I do remember Drew Barrymore was, like, personified it for me in that early 90s. And I saw it, we would all see it as teenagers in the magazines, but it was not represented in in the department stores. You couldn't, like, it didn't come to life, but you couldn't buy that look. And there was no other way to see it than to pour through these magazines. And then when Poppy Poppy came out, obviously she was a teenager and she was feeling the same thing and she developed her brad at 16 or or what have you. And for me, it was the first time I had ever seen seen that that look was accessible and you could actually look like that. And there was a product to help you look like those girls in the magazines. And that, that was so fun. Like, it was really fun. I can look back at the photos of me in that era and that's exactly what I look like. (laughs) It was like... The white powdered skin, the thick matte lips, even though my lips were skinny, I just cut, you know, I didn't care. And thick eyebrows, thick dark eyebrows as well. Um, yeah, it was really cool. It was really just fun, a fun time to experiment and express yourself a bit. I think it was about expression as well, as makeup always has been and, and is to this day. You studied marketing and PR and I know you went on to work for for other beauty brands as well as I think running your own PR agency for for a a long time. What was kind of the biggest lesson or insight you took from that time that you still apply to what you do today? That's interesting. So for me that time was really frantic and interesting and fun and exciting and I could have as much beauty as I wanted and there was new things all the time and I could experiment and um, my makeup cabinet was bursting and I, I was, you know, I really enjoyed myself. I launched Laura Mercier in Australia. I launched Sex Pay in Australia. Like these iconic brands, like I could meet the founders and, and that was super fun. However, you know, I've never been a big skincare girl ever because I was brought up with this mentality that um, I just, I, my dad was so cynical and he's inbred and my parents were scientists and they inbred this cynicism in me and also with the farming background it was very much we don't believe that that can't you know so I just never believed any of the anti-aging claims from from the get-go so for me it was always about color like I had fun with color but what and then and also I did a lot of hair care at the time and but what I really learned was what drives women to love beauty what are the different layers of the relationships that women have with, with beauty, skincare, colour, hair, all of that? Um, and also um, on the more sinister side, what brands do to, to create those triggers to create this need that might not be there for people to buy beauty they might not need. So I, I just kind of woke up almost and I came out of that experience knowing much more clearly what I liked, what worked for me, what didn't. Kind of, I was kind of, I overdosed, like I really was sick of, I'd had my fill of new stuff, but also I was, I had a very, very, very deep understanding and respect for what drives women to buy certain things, what buttons are pressed, why, like I really understand really deeply all of that. I mean, couldn't ask for better training ground when it comes to having my own 
my own brand, that's for sure. I mean, exactly. And you, you look at that kind of foundation, obviously your parents being scientists, as you mentioned, I think your grandparents, as you mentioned, kind of were farmers. And when you look back, it's almost like the perfect formula to get to where you, to get to where you are now. And I read that, I think you still email your dad with ingredients questions sometimes. Yes, I do. (laughs) I actually, um, just only like last week, I was asking him about a few ingredients and um, he just gives me this really like no nonsense take on things. And I really, I love, I'm so lucky to have that hey, Dad, what do you th- I read this thing about this ingredient and he would just, like, tell me what, what, the, what the get down was, you know? Like, <laughs> what the truth and what the reality is because I'm not a scientist, right? But I know a lot. I know. I know more than the most, you know, most people, but I don't know the molecular structure of things. When I, when I look at a research report, I don't know if this is a real, like, who did it and is it ethical? And, like, I don't know any of that. And neither do 99% of people, but he can look at anything and know you know, looks like, oh, that's a very thin line from left to right on that report. I don't believe, you know, that's just bullshit, really. <laughs> he calls, basically, he's my bullshit detector, <laughs> is my dad. Everyone should have one. Now, Everyone should have a bullshit detector. Yeah, and even, yeah, like you said, even better when it is is your dad who can be on call always. <laughs> I, remember he, I remember showing him a formula my lab had come to me with on a cream, which I didn't, you know, it's a new area for me, it was years ago. And I said, what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to create something really beautiful and natural. What do you think of this formula? And he came back and he wrote, you, you would be ashamed of this naughty mix of these things. It was just the, the <laughs> most straight down the line. This is the most revolting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> How funny. Lana Lips has been, uh, without a doubt, the most talked about product on this podcast. I haven't done an official count, oh, but really? I think... Oh. I think almost 10 people have picked it as uh, their eight product list to bring with them to Beauty Island, which I think um, is an incredible endorsement. But let's rewind from the beginning. What is it about lanolin that makes it such a special ingredient? And where did the idea to create a, a, a brand from it come from? When I was growing up, I knew lanolin worked. And my dad taught me the reason why, really, in a very simple term. What then I, I really just forgot about it when I fell in love with the fun of beauty land. And then um, I spent, as you know, many years in beauty. So when I came, when I realized that nothing was actually working on me on a hydration level, as well as the lanolin I had grown up with, I did need to go back to basics and look into the science of it. And what I discovered was actually really mind blowing for me because it kind of, it was even better than I had even remembered. So What's most important about lanolin? It is from an animal. Like it's animal cruelty free. It's a byproduct of the wool washing industry. So if you wear wool, you know, if it's wool in your curtains and your rugs and your jumpers, it's no different. It's a byproduct of of that process. But from on a fundamental level, it's an oil from an animal, and we are animals. So on a molecular level, the the structure of the oil most closely resembles your own oils. Then any plant oil can possibly do. It's impossible to be better than lanolin. It's the only oil from an animal that we can really use without, you know, without killing an animal, which we don't, no one wants to do. So the molecular structure of lanolin mimics your own oils. And what that means is it actually behaves like your own oils. Um, it goes, it, it, it goes cold when your body temperature, if it goes below body temperature, it kind of goes thick and heavy. If it goes above body temperature, it goes runnier, like it's actually really happy at body temperature. And it also penetrates and behaves on your skin like your own oils would. So it will actually dive down deep into your skin layers. It will stay there. And it also self-hydrates. So it holds its own weight in moisture. So it will stay down in the deep layers of your skin and hold moisture in. But And it also creates this barrier on top. So there's your natural skin barrier. Lanolin will mimic that, which will stop moisture loss. And it will hold the moisture into the skin as well. So it's just kind of ticks every single possible box you might want in a hydrator and it's natural and it's been around for thousands of years so it's proven for safety over many many thousands of years in fact when I was doing all my research and by this time when I was looking at Lano Lano was really an uncool a very uncool ingredient in the skincare world and I was like how can this be like I don't I don't understand <laughs> Surely, I mean, surely, like, I can just kind of look at this and if I, if, if I love it, then maybe other people would. And, you know, lucky I was I was right. I mean, it was a big gamble at the time. It was the, probably the most uncool ingredient in skincare. 
because I just believed in it so full-headedly. And, and then I did a lot of research and it was used in burns healing in every hospital in the world. It was used in surgical wards. Uh, so I just, it was like this moment of like, duh, like what? <laughs> this kind of seems really obvious to do this. So yeah, lucky, um, you know, lucky it, it worked. Before we go deeper into kind of how Lano, the brand came to be, the fourth product on your list is your holy grail, which is lanolin and also Batiste Dry Shampoo. So tell me a bit about your use with it, why you love it. Well, for me, the one-on-one ointment is and will always be the heart and soul of, of the brand because it's really, it's pure lanolin, but it's also, um, it's about the quality. So what, what I did find out in my research as to why it had been looked at as the devil the devil ingredient was back in the 70s and 80s it had been labeled as an allergen and what had happened was a lot of lanolin that hadn't been purified and was left with residual pesticides from farming in it was causing a lot of irritation so the quality of the lanolin is paramount and I came to these different grades there was industrial grade and, and medical grade and what I got to is something that I wanted to marry all of the beautiful benefits of lanolin being the hydration aspect, the quality being it being really safe and pure for medical grade, so very, very safe. You can use it as a nipple cream, like newborn babies can ingest it. But also um, what I what I wanted to get to was something that was not sticky and that didn't have that awful colour that Mark Lanolin can have. And that ticked the box of cosmetics and beautiful and, and beautiful. And like a, being a beautiful experience to use the product was really important to me too. So I got to what I kept on working at the Lanolin and we got it to this, to this beautiful ultra medical grade Lanolin. And that is 101 ointment. And I remember saying to Dad when I was formulating, what else should I put in with this? What can improve it? And he just like nothing, like nothing. I was like, okay. And that was really at the time, at the time it was a big, huge risk. And pharmacists would say to me, but don't you want to like hide some things in there and have proprietary, like people could just like copy it. Like I was like, but why would I do that? This is the perfect product already. So that's for me why 101 is so special. For me, and luckily for other people, because it just really represents the pure. It represents hydration in its most pure and most high grade and most quality form. It does exactly what it says. It's something that should be. I should charge fifty dollars for the quality of it in terms of the cost of making it. But I like to keep it at a good price, and I think that's our secret as well as not overpricing things. So that's and that's and that's the product I started with, and I use it for everything. I still to this day use it on everything. I mix it in with creams. I use it on my cuticles, I use it on my children. Like, I pretty much could live on one product if I really had to, and that's it. And as you mentioned, 101 Ointment was the first product, which you launched in 2009. And then I believe you launched in the US uh, more recently, 2016. What was the biggest challenge taking it to America? America is like at least five countries in one in terms of culturally. It's just so heavily densely populated and... um, there's so many different, like, you know, there's the middle, Midwest, there's the East Coast, there's the West Coast, there's um, the Northern area, which is really cold. So getting to educate all of those different subcultures about lanolin is an ongoing process. But luckily, the ingredient itself is very familiar to everybody. So we're kind of not going in trying to sell like a cacodine, kangaroo, plum extract or what have you. Uh, it is still a really familiar ingredient. So I guess the biggest challenge is just getting the word out. And uh, But that's always the challenge for me. I'm always I'm a communicator at heart. Like I love telling the stories and telling them about it and educating people. So for me, that's like my ongoing mission. And obviously it was very well received. But is the US your, the biggest market, if not very quite closely split with Australia? Yes, the US from day one was our biggest market. So yeah, it still is and will only grow to be honest. It's a huge market. We're very focused on it. Australia is our home market, but just by pure size, America's going to be our biggest. Now, I wanted to quickly talk about product development because obviously when you have your starter product, the 101 ointment is so beloved. How do you approach expanding the range? Because obviously Lano now has face masks, face creams, lip scrubs and things like that. So what's in your mind when you're thinking about the next product? What I want next is usually where it comes from (laughs) and or what's kind of a fun way to just provide a bit of fun in someone's handbag 
So to put it this way, if I was to put a customer in a profession, it would be should be a, a lawyer because lawyers are highly educated, so they're very clever. They they know what they know what marketing is when they see it. They know what's true or not when they see it. And my first customers ever were lawyers. Like I could tell from the emails I would receive and their email addresses. So, but a lawyer still has, you know, they've got money. They and they they like the normal nonsense, but they also want to have a bit of fun as well. But they want the fun to be functional. So I really kind of use that as my guiding light when I'm creating a product. Like it can be fun, but as long as it's functional, like it's not just fun for the sake of fun. And so we did our lip water, for example, which is a much kind of more, it's a really fluid, it's much, it's a lightest balm, it's pretty, it's got shimmer in it, it's holographic, but it's still 99% natural plus 1% shimmer, it's still um, lanolin area's core, it's still super hydrating, it just happens to be in a prettier tube with shimmer in it, you know? So for me, I'm always thinking, what have, what, what, what do I want, what does that customer want? What can I make their life easier with? And or can I do lanolin in a fun way that gives them a bit of light relief on a weekend? All your products are beloved by obviously many people, but also a lot of well-known people, makeup artists and celebrities. Who were you kind of surprised or blown away by when you found out that they were a fan or they used lano? Wow. Okay. In terms of celebrities, the two that really stand out for me I mean, I, look, there's three. I guess in the early days, Drew Barrymore, I mean, because she was a beauty um, icon for me in my in my early my teens. So when when I heard that she was a big fan, it was like, like the same one kind of moment. Uh, my God, oh my God! And then and then then when Rosie Huntington Whiteley said she loved it, I remember the makeup artist who was doing her makeup for a shoot said, "Oh, Rosie wants some Lano. Can you?" I'm like, "Oh my God! Like she's got." The most iconic lips, arguably, of our day. Yeah. In and, and she liked me. Like I was really like blown away by that. And that's continued. That was like five years ago. And to this day, on her blog, she's always talking about Lano. And that's what I get excited about. Like anyone can like a product once, but it's when you stay, when you earn a place in their handbag for years, and you just kind of own that spot in their bag. That is the hugest honour of all, and that's where I get the biggest thrill from. It's not the first sale. It's like earning a spot forever in their bag. That's like the hugest, biggest thrill for me of all. And that, um, and Rosie to this day, her, I've, earned her, I've earned a place in her bag and I stay there, even though she gets, you know, she can have whatever she wants, right? And then the other, the, the one that also stands out for other reasons, um, but it came through on Instagram stories. I saw this makeup artist was on holiday and she put a story up and she was sitting there with Chelsea Handler, and they were skiing. And Chelsea was putting on my hand cream on her face. Wow. So she'd gone skiing with a little baby hand cream of mine, and she was at the top, and they were having lunch at a ski resort, and she was just like, oh, my God, my face is so dry, and I'm going to put this on my face because of why not? And that, to me, was a huge honour because that's what our brand's about. It's about not taking – it's about a cream – a good hand cream, by the way, can be an excellent face cream. And I had done that myself. I was kind of a bit shy to talk about it, but intense hand cream as a face cream is really smart. So I got really excited to see that because, I, you know, I couldn't – I didn't place it. It just happened. And there was this amazingly clever, smart, intelligent woman – and she'd figured it all out herself, and um, and I did it too, so that was exciting. <laughs> and I suppose, as you've kind of spoken about, one of the most loved characteristics of Lips is that it can be used for so many things, and I love... Oh my God, I get so excited when people tell me what they've used it for, and, and they're proud to tell me, like, I used it on my dog's paws, or I used it on... You know, I mean, the most touching ones are when someone's going through a really terrible time. Like, uh, we've had a number of people go through chemotherapy and it's helped them through that. And I'm really humbled by that. And it, I get so excited when I hear it actually being a useful product. Because at core, at the heart of my brand is being useful and functional and quality and doing what it says. So we, if, if that's what we can do in people's, people's world, then that's a huge honour. And I love that obviously multi-purpose products are so valuable and particularly now when most people have very limited time that something that kind of ticks a few boxes is really valuable. But I loved actually a meme that you shared a while back that was like the limit of multi-purpose products, which is that we love Lano, but we'll never use, you know, the, the three-in-one shampoo, conditioner and oh body wash God. that you get in the, oh, you that. At the gym. Yeah. That made me yeah, laugh because I feel that. <laughs> yeah, 
yes, I yeah, three in one shampoo, like two in one shampoo conditioner. That that's where I draw the hard line. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot work. It could never end well. <laughs> The fifth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory or meaning for you. And you've got the one that has a special memory and the one that you use now. So Body yeah. Shop White Musk and your your current perfume, Myth by Ellis Brooklyn. Can you tell me a bit about those two? My brother gave me White Musk, I don't know, when I was about 18. And I felt, I think he, a girlfriend of his time was using it or something like that. Anyway, I fell in love with it and I had it. I could, I continue to have it in, in my cupboard for not that not that bottle, but yeah, I continue to rebuy and use it alongside other things for a good 15 years. There's still something I really, really love about a mask. And then and then I kind of moved on and tried other things. And I found recently Miss by Ellis Brooklyn. I actually met B who, who owns Ellis Brooklyn, and she had it in her handbag. I'm like, what have you got? Come on, show me, show me. I'm still a beauty junkie. And she put it on me, and I was like, oh! Oh my God, like it was literally a moment. I literally I couldn't believe this this fragrance had done something to me, like it had moved me. <laughs> and fragrances can totally do that. It was, And then I also woke up the next day and it was still on and I was like, oh my God, this is like, it's like heaven. It's like I've, I've found Jesus. <laughs> and I realized that this is the smell. And I always had been, I'd been looking for my signature scent that I really wanted my children to remember me by because I remember a smell my mum had. It was that cream, that Helena Rubinson cream. That was her smell for me. And um, I, I'm a mother and I want my children to remember me by one smell. And I want them to have that memory when I'm gone. So when they smell it, they, they go, it's like such a powerful sense. I mean, smell is the most powerful memory trigger. And I've, I wanted to have one and um, I really hadn't settled upon one. And when I found that, it... I, I knew that that was the one. Um, so now that's my daily fragrance. And I do have other ones I use from time to time. Like I have a little fragrance wardrobe of like five fragrances. Um, but but this is my, my one that I'm training my children to, to remember <laughs> me by. <laughs> and it's also a mask as well, which um, I think I've realized that I'm a mask girl. You're a mask fan. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful way of looking at that perfume. Now, this is a question that I imagine you have been asked a lot, but what I love about it is that obviously as the business grows and life goes on, the answer can change. So when you think about the biggest pinch me moment you've had with Lano, what is it that stands out currently? Okay, I had one last week, actually. Oh. And I don't, I'm kind of quite reserved in my, like, I, I'm always like, yeah, that's really good, but what's, you know, this, this problem's going to happen. Like, I'm kind of always thinking, I'm trying to, I don't get, usually as excited as I should. I'm trying to train myself to get more excited. So what happened last week, I guess, is the most memorable one, was 101 was on Kim Kardashian's Instagram. Oh, wow. <laughs> on her stories. It was part of a bag we had um, done with Good America, and she was going through it, and she picked up this box, and she had it, and she was like, oh, my God, this is so cute. I'm totally going to try this. Oh, my God. And for me, like, whether you love the Kardashians or not, it doesn't matter that the, just she's kind of one of the most famous people in the whole world. And she's got 152 million followers. And to get in, I don't know, I felt like this little brand from the South Australia and this little humble ingredient that everyone hated, to get into the, that, to get into the audience that she has was like, wow. I mean, if, it, if I can't get excited about this, then I just could shut up and go home. Like, there's no point in, <laughs> in having a company if this doesn't make you excited. So I, I like, screamed and I got my staff together and we opened champagne. And it was more symbolic that we had achieved. We had together done something really, really special. And, and for Australia, for this ingredient for rural Australia, something we can be really proud of. And, and it's not about technical ingredients. These age-old ingredients that we all grew up with are freaking amazing and they just needed someone to relook at them so that was really fun we had champagne and like you said it's so important and it can be so easy as you're kind of gunning for the next thing and the next thing to take a moment and and like you said appreciate and celebrate those incredible achievements 
Yeah, and I think the first time I remember doing it and actually stopping myself and going, okay, stop and enjoy this because it's only going to get worse, <laughs> was when um, we, we very first launched and I had no idea how it was going to go. I really had no idea. Luckily, through my partner's company, he managed, we managed to get really good distribution when we launched. We were It was before e-com. We had Priceline. We had Data Jones. We had Maya. We, had, we were available in hundreds of stores. From, from dot, which was really, really lucky. But that doesn't mean that people are going to buy you, right? Like, it doesn't mean at all that you've got a successful business. All it means is you're, you're, you're available. And then when, within the first week, I got the phone call from my husband. He said, you just did $40,000 in one week in Priceline. And that's big. Like, that's, that at the time, huge. that's huge. And I stopped. I was alone in the house, and I was just like, couldn't believe it. I went to the fridge once again, got champagne, <laughs> and I said to myself, just enjoy this because the problems are going to come next, and there'll be issues, and, and they do, and they have, but you have to stop and and soak it in and drink champagne. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> the sixth product on your list is the one that gives you a bit of a confidence boost or your signature look. And for you, that is winged liner. Now, do you have a particular oh, yeah. product you love to do your winged liner? Yes. I have been through a lot in my life. And I've been to Hong Kong and I've bought all those cheap ones. And, but the ones that I've settled on and I haven't changed for the past few years, there's actually two. There's, um, I can't figure out which one's better because I just use them and I don't know which one I'm using. <laughs> um, is this Steel Off uh, liquid liner and also the Kat Von D. The tattoo um, for liner. Me it's about it's about longevity. I always use a felt tip because it's easy, and I just want it to stay. Simple as that. It's not like it's no more complicated than which one will stay and not smudge and smudge away. Uh, those are actually my two favorites as well. And now, are you? More... Oh, really? Which one's better? I can't figure it out. I, I just have one. <laughs> I know. I'm exactly the same. I started off with the tattoo, the Kat Von D tattoo liner. Now I use the Steeler all day one. But I think the, the difference between them is probably minuscule. They're probably very interchangeable, which doesn't really help. But at least we have options. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And now are you a little flick at the end or full-on cat liner? Where does your wing liner sit on the scale? It depends on the day. As a, like On a daily basis, I'll, I'll bring it out to the edge of where my lashes would go and they've got mascara on them. So it still looks really natural, but in my eyes just get kind of elongated and defined. And I only do the top. Um, I put nothing on my bottom. My eyes are naturally almond um, shaped, so it's more about just enhancing their natural shape. And then on, um, if I'm doing a more dramatic look, then I'll go like an extra thick line and then I'll smudge it out a bit or um, and put maybe some coal on top and smudge it and like make it less defined, but like more dramatic. So, um, but it's always that for me. It's always a heavy, heavy, heavy flick out. Obviously, it is the nature of the beast that to do what you do to run a successful beauty business or any business, it is a lot of work. It's fast paced and it's nonstop. Do you enjoy that aspect of it or do you ever wish you could kind of slow down a bit and take a break and at this point in in the business is that something you have the freedom to do to have a day off to take a bit of a step back or are you always on that's a really complicated question because i think any entrepreneur who's had a level of success has to be very very self-driven and because if you don't you just give up because there's so many hard times that you have to get through and without self-drive it's impossible so when i wake up in answer to your question, I mean, I have a fire in my belly every day. I go to the office and I'm almost running there to get into it. However, I'd be lying if I didn't say the pace is relentless and you want to just switch off and walk away for a couple of months. Like a few years back, I really needed a few months off and it was impossible. I physically, for a number of reasons, I really, really needed to switch off for a good few months and I just couldn't do it and I can't. However, I've got a really amazing team now. I've got an amazing general manager and um, uh, luckily I don't work at that pace anymore where I'm at breaking point. I, I did, but for the last two years it's been much, much better. But it's always, you are always 100% on. You never stop thinking about it. Sometimes I'd love to take some time out, but I don't know what else I would do. Like, I really don't. Uh, I love it and I'm driven and I'm, I've got that fire in my belly every day. And obviously that's obviously a great sign when you are so passionate about it that you don't mind the, the time that you spent because it is something that you're thinking about anyway. Yeah, and you're kind of itching to get all your thoughts out. <laughs> you spend all night thinking about things and you're like, no, I've got to do this email, I've got to respond to this, and I don't know, kind of 
it's a, it's like a thrill. It's a thrill, but there's a lot of it you don't feel like doing as well. In an interview you did with Harper's Bazaar, one thing that stood out to me is this great quote that you had about particularly the pace of beauty now in terms of brands launching, you know, products every few weeks or every few months about your attitude towards not just latching on to what's new and being being more considered. Is that something that's really important to the way that you approach Bano? Yeah, 100%. I think any brand that hangs their hat on trends, that's a never-ending mouse trap. Uh, mouse trap, sorry, you know, hamster wheel. That's fine if you want to do that, and it certainly has been successful for um, a number of brands that I know. But it is never, it, it's like a drug. For consumers and for brands, you get this hit, you get this massive sales, it peters off, and you're like, where's my next hit going to come from? And I, I'm too stressed to do like that. I, I, I know what will happen in six months if I do that. As like, I'll, I'll be like, I'll be like, where's my next hit? So I, I purposefully, um, it was a, a conscious approach to not launch products in that manner. We have products in our range now that are our bestsellers, which are in our, well, our in our original lineup. Every product I do is really considered and has a has an earned place in someone's bag, and and I feel like it's non disposable, and people will never kind of get sick of it, so to speak, or kind of be over it. So that is, in answer to your question, that is absolutely the fundamental basics of our range. Is is it has to be useful and opposite of trends. And as you've talked about, you have two sons. What do you hope they take away from seeing what you do? I hope, obviously, you hope they're proud of you, which is, and they are, which is the most um, lucky thing. I hope that they realise that women can be great mothers and also have successful companies. And I hope that they respect women in the workforce as much as they respect men. And I, and I feel like it's my job as a as their mother to show them that women are a force to be reckoned with, and and I do think I've instilled that in them. And they and I, whether it's the generation or whether it's me, my children, and they're at an age now where they know what's going on. They they'll hear something on the news and they'll be like, "That's not right against women," or "That doesn't that's not fair." Like they they have a very strong sense of, of equality already. Brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, which is it's so good and so nice. And But I also teach them that mothers who choose not to work is, are equally great women as well because I think it's really important that women have these choices and for whatever reason their life, they choose to do what they choose to do and for whatever reason they might not be able to work. And that should also be equally respected. Absolutely. There's no one way or right way to do it. I love that. Yeah, for sure. The seventh product on your list is the one that you would trust with your life, which is the Tweezerman cuticle clippers, which I don't think we've oh ever had God. before. What what do you like about those or, or why why do you trust oh with your life? Oh, my God. So I've got this terrible habit. I think I got it from my dad. I bite my um, the corners of my skin and my fingernails. It's really, really disgusting. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of this nervous kind of habit. And I, I just can't stand little hangnails, so I just pick at them. And then, you know, we all know how that ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just keep going. So the only way to keep my fingernails looking like they're not from a horror show, and I don't wear nail polish, I don't get manicures, so I have to kind of I take care of them myself. The only way to keep myself under control is by always having cuticle clippers at hand to clip, to clip away any little pesky bits that might. And I keep them hydrated, of course, but any little pesky bits that lift up, I clip them all away before I can rage war against them. Otherwise, and it's my, um, like, I, and the tweezers I want, they're just best. They're the sharpest, they're the thinnest, they get into the little corners, they they clip away, it's very satisfying to use them. They're just, like, <laughs> the best ones I've ever had. And they're really hard to find. I actually can't remember where, where I got my pair, but they're still, like, I've got in different handbags. But the trick is having them wherever you might need them. So I've got one at work, I've got one in my handbag, and I've got one in my bathroom, and I've all, and I've got one in, like, another bag. So I've always got a pair wherever I might need them. But I can't find these tweezing man ones again. So, yeah, I think I need to go looking for some more, actually. <laughs> Keep them stockpiled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, away from work and beauty, what does an ideal Sunday look like to you? What are your, your passions outside of that realm? Oh, I kind of, like, if I was an animal, I would be a cat, which means I kind of just want to laze around in the sun and read. 
Lovely. I I think one of the um, one of the things I've failed at is finding balance in life, and I've never been good at it, and I've come to accept that that's me. So what that means is my life is my work, and then um, I'm like at at home catching up on things when I'm home. I don't have any other hobbies really. Um, I wish I did. Um, I wish I could say I love to run or uh, I go and knit or you know whatever. But I really lie in the sun and read is my ultimate Sunday and hang out with my kids and just watch them. Well, you definitely get plenty of time to do that on Beauty Island, so that's <laughs> something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> the final product on your list is the one that you always repurchase, which is the Armani Luminous Silk Foundation. And I have never used this one, but I've heard so many great things about it. What is it about it that you love particularly? It's really fine and thin and kind of what I would classify as like a water inky texture. So it, it leaves your skin looking like skin. You can see your freckles through it still, which I really love. But it also has a good enough pigment that you do get that even out skin that you want when you've got a foundation on. Just kind of want to create this face so if you've got to cover your under eye circles, it blends into something, you know. And for me, I've got, I've got natural dark under eye circles, so I'm always wearing concealer under my eyes. I should have put that on my list, actually. And you need to blend that into something. You can't just say concealer onto your bare skin because you've got, it just, you'd see the edges. So for me, foundation provides a base to blend things into, and that's just the... It ticks all the boxes. It's hydrating. It's got transparent, but it stays. It's just glorious. It's glorious. You've got to try it. And what is your, the, you mentioned the concealer. What's your favorite concealer to use then? Well, I rotate for a few. It depends on like day to night. So nighttime, heavy duty. I want to look perfect. I go the It Cosmetics under Bye Bye Under Eye. It's really waxy, thick. It's kind of like stage makeup. But it's really a bit too full on for the day. So in the day, I will use either the NARS Radiant Concealer. But the one that's the easiest one, and I always go back to ease. I think women will always go back to convenience in the end. And that's exactly what I've done with concealers. The easiest one is that I think it's the Maybelline with the dough, the dough applicator, that spongy kind of top the eraser. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, like it's called Skin Eraser or something age eraser um, but it's got that fuzzy dough top and it's just really easy and it's really solid it's really good and I have three of those too I kind of have things placed in my life so things are really easily handy perfect what is the one lesson or piece of advice that you've been given or, or, or realized over the years that you kind of live by and that could be for work or or otherwise look I think it was never verbalized to me but I think by example, my parents were very good, and my grandfather as well. He was just such a good person. And what I mean by that is they cared about others. They would not purposely hurt anybody. They would help and do charitable work without needing accolades for it. They would donate blood, for example. Mum would do meals on wheels on a weekend, and they didn't expect anyone anyone to think. They just had this deep like, sense of being responsible people and being kind people and being good and honest. And I think by by leading, by seeing that example growing up, for me, that in business and in life is my mantra. I'm not a, hard, I'm not a ruthless businesswoman. I, and I feel like the long term, that kind of helps. Short term, sometimes it doesn't. Long term, it, it ends up, it all comes around. I feel like guiding lights, if you're good, if you do great things, if you're if you're producing things that are honest and that people really actually properly help people, then eventually that pays off. So that's my guiding light in life too. Brilliant. And definitely underrated kindness, particularly when we talk about business, I think. Well, I think also a lot of people will talk about working hard as if it's a badge of honour. I mean, let me tell you, when I hear people say, I work so hard, I earn my MSA or whatever it is, these people do not know what hard work is unless you've worked on a farm or you've, you know, you've worked on a, 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 a job you hate for 30 years because you had to feed your small family. Like, there's really people out there who really properly work hard and, and they don't need a home bag to work with themselves. That's, it's just kind of what they do, you know? So I think just working hard as a badge of honour is just kind of, I don't, know, I don't really agree with it. I think you have to be good people in the world and that be a good person to people. And that's what you hope for at the end. And that's what you want to kind of look back at your life when you're dying and go, was I, do I have good people around me? Do I have people that love me? And did I, was I nice to everyone? Absolutely. 
we come to the end of our chat for Beauty Island and now is when you have to pick of the products that we've talked about today, the one that you'll be taking with you to Beauty Island. It doesn't have to always necessarily be practical, just the one that you want with you. Oh, what is the one? one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so predictable. I can't lie. I can't lie. No, and it, <laughs> for good reason, for very good reason. Kirsten, yeah. thank you so much for chatting to me today. It has been so fascinating to go through your products and your career and your excellent wisdom and advice that you've shared with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the incredible Kirsten Carriol of Lano. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you again for your patience with audio. I know in person is always better and that's what I always endeavour to do, but it's not always possible. So I really hope you took as much away from this chat with Kirsten as I did. Remember, you can find all the details of where to find and follow Kirsten and Lano, as well as all the products she talked about today in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany BTS or even send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a regular beauty newsletter, It's a Beauty, where you'll get reviews, recommendations and, and tips and tricks and all my beauty thoughts in my beauty column delivered straight to your inbox each week. In the past few weeks, I've talked about thigh chafing busters, the best beauty advent calendar, SPF myths, and the best fake tan tricks, to name just a few. And I also have some other exciting news, because if there's one thing I love just as much as beauty, it is Christmas. So in the lead up to the festive season, I am crazily launching another podcast called A Christmas Binge. If you love Beauty Island and you like Christmas, I think you will love this. It's transferring a similar sentiment, sitting down with interesting and well-known people to talk about their Christmas binges, the things they watch, the things they eat, and their wacky and wonderful family traditions that they can share with us. So it's all about getting into the spirit of Christmas, and that will be dropping soon. I've put a link if you would like to subscribe in the show notes as well, or you can search Christmas Binge on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and as if I'm not bombarding you enough, if you want to know when that will drop and you also don't mind some hilarious Christmas memes in your feed, you can follow me on Instagram at a Christmas binge. That is all from me now, I promise. Thank you so much. And until next time, bye bye. <laughs>